please don't wait till it's too late. Call McIntyre Elder Law. So, uh, this is Greg McIntyre, uh, Lawyer Greg, with Lunch with a Veteran. Although we don't have lunch today because Red Bridges Barbecue is closed on Monday. So, could have sent you some business, Bridges. Um, but, uh, uh, but we're going to talk about, I'm here with my guest, Ray Kale and his wife, Connie. And Ray is a Vietnam veteran, and Connie, I understand, is part of his story. And so we're going to talk about it, as we do with our Lunch for the Veteran show. So thank you for being here, Ray, Mr. Kale. Um, would you rather me call you Ray or Mr. Kale? Ray. Okay. All right. Um, I always want to be respectful of that. That's right. So... You know, you were drafted into right. Vietnam. Where, where are you from originally? Okay, I was born in Oklahoma, but not from Gaston. Okay. Here all my life. Uh, but I was drafted April 26, uh, 1966. And uh, my friend, my best friend, since sixth grade, he was drafted with me. So we went to the induction center in Charlotte, which I thought we would come back home, but they sent me straight to Fort Jackson. From Fort Jackson, after one week at Fort Jackson, they sent us to Fort Riley, Kansas. Mm -hmm. And I said, Count Forsyth. Okay. And I did training there. Did, uh, I guess, uh, six weeks of basic training and then six weeks of advanced infantry training. Sure, sure. And, uh, um, and then, and, and then, and then, did they send you directly to Vietnam? <laughs> then went, uh, and I got to come home for a leave after after the mass uh, training. I came home for 30 days. That was in uh, been August uh, because my father was still there. And then uh, I went back. Then when I was still in the field, I was out in the last bit of our training in the field, and they called me and said my father was sick. So I went home and he'd already died though. So then, uh, I think we left the first part of December. We went to California and got on a ship, stayed on a ship 21 days, which I was sick 21 days. Gotcha. Lost a lot of weight. Then we got there, we got on a landing craft. We loaded up, we loaded live ammunition all the day before we landed. They put us on landing craft, and we had the grenades and everything. Rifles, machine guns, where to carry. And so when we landed, there <clears throat> wasn't a word spoken all the way to the shore. You know, it was all scared to death. Yeah, didn't know what was coming next. Right. And when the ramp went down, there was a band playing Welcome Up There. <laughs> so that was a sigh of relief. <laughs> a band instead of a. Yeah. Weapon. Instead of people shooting at you. Right. They yeah. loaded us up on trucks. There's about 2,000 of us, uh, a long convoy of trucks. Tanks and APC carriers that took us to Count Bearcat that had just been cleaned off. Uh, the engineers, before we got there, they already been secured, by, I think, by the 70th, uh, 73rd Airborne. I'm not sure who it was. They cleared the area, and then they. So when we got there, it was just dirt and a berm around it. And from there, we started taking patrols. We made a couple of patrols there. Second patrol, two people got killed. I'm not so sure there's any enemy out there. But uh, then they had a big ceremony, and they really 
made up the stories ever since hell. <laughs> so there's better. They may have, they don't know what happens out there. They, they don't know what happens. They have a better story with the yeah. death or something. Gotcha. <clears throat> and then we went to uh, I don't know where we were. Uh, I was in recon, a thirty man uh, squad. Right. We wore soft hats. We didn't wear the helmets, and all we had was basically rifles and some grenades. And Tommy was in mortars. But that we was years that was that was drafted with right Tommy Turner and we were uh, was in the same company Echo Company in Kansas and he was in the mortar platoon right and halfway through our tour I went to the Fourth Temperature Division up north and it was in a line company I think it's uh, Charlie Company out there and he went to uh, Baker on Delta and they put him in the infantry there they didn't want everybody going home at the same time. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I stayed a year. And, uh, it was something every day. Really? Different nights. Every day and every night. We didn't get any rest. And what people don't realize is that it's rained for six months, basically. And then it's clear for six months. Or you never see a cloud. And then you never see the sun for six months. So it's dusty half the year. But in the next half, we'd ride on tanks and stuff. That's how we got around when we were walking. And, and we'd be, we'd put a handkerchief around your face, but you'd be covered in dust. It's red dust. Right. And your eyes would be off. Your whole face looked like it had a mask on it. <clears throat> when I came home, I went back to work where I was working before, which was Wallace Business Forms. And in the meantime, she came to work there. Connie came to work there. Mm -hmm. So I met her. But she was engaged to be married. And she got married right after that. How long after that time? I think it was in March when we came back. Yeah. I, I came back in April. They told they called me and asked me to come back to my same job. So actually a different job. So the same department she was working in. Mm -hmm. But she got married right after that. And then her husband went to Vietnam, and he got killed. Uh, what was that? July twenty, July twenty eighth, I think. He was, he was over three months. He's in a one ninety six flight infantry, which is up north. So, so, wow. And then, and then, uh, so you guys, I guess, um, got together after that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We sort of knew each other, you know, for sure. the months there. So, I mean, man, that war is horrible, isn't yeah. it? I, I was, uh, the day we was there. Think I, how it affected everybody. Uh, the day I was working, my supervisor came up and he said they sent her to the front office. They came up and told her Dwight had got killed. That's how it happened, isn't it? Well, I don't know how many got killed in Gaston County, a lot. Really? And then my platoon, there's 30 of us, and five got killed, and probably 10 or 15 wounded. But I didn't get a scratch on me. I wasn't sick for one day the whole time I was there. In a way, I've been always going to get malaria because then you get out of the field for one month if you got malaria. Right. But I got it when I came home. I was at Fort Eustis, Virginia. 
<clears throat> I got malaria, so I stayed in the hospital. How you get it when you come home? I was taking you take iodine pills. You put in your water, it makes your water bitter. A lot of people wouldn't do it. But so they got malaria. Yeah, they got it. But I didn't get it. I don't know if that's what kept us from it, but I did everything they told me to. And uh, <clears throat> but my last month in service, I, got, I had malaria. And then when I got home that July, I got malaria again. So I went to Salisbury. The doctor said they can't treat you here. They sent me to a VA hospital in Salisbury. I wonder how the natives there deal with it. They're just used to it or something? I don't know, it? but it's malaria is terrible. Yeah. It makes you definitely sick. It makes you so weak. Mm. What I, I got it at, at Can work. you get I, it more than once? <clears throat> yeah, I had it twice myself after I had it. had it twice? Yeah. I guess something's back in your body, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Because it was, it was, see, when it was really hot. Right. When it really hot in the summertime, it's been like that. Mosquitoes spread. Yeah. yeah, I got at work. I got. I was actually sick for went to work that day, but I, it was in July and it's hot. I went up there and got in my car and my teeth were chattering, and uh, <coughs> I had a heater on the car. And so, and I got sick of for for Eustace, and I about died in my room before somebody came in. I had a, a private room. I just. Bide my time up there. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, leeches. Yeah, we had leeches. I, got, I mean, we. You know, you think it'd be mosquitoes. I actually have more mosquitoes in my backyard than I dealt with over there. Really? But we did. We run to places where leeches get all over you. And uh, <coughs> what about going through the water or something? No, it doesn't necessarily have to be in water. It can be on the on the land. You. I don't smoke, but they, I'd take a cigarette and you'd burn them off of you. You had to blast your boots. You had to keep them burned because they'd be coming up on you. <coughs> and uh, you have to do what in your boots? Blast them, they call it. Put your boots inside your, your pants. Inside yeah. Your boots. Okay. Pants inside your they boots. They crawl up on your Yeah, keep them getting under there, but they still get on you. They still get under. And they'll stay on there until they get, they're going to fall off. Yeah. But, uh, <coughs> trying to think of other stuff. But I Oh you were supposed you're supposed to be dead. Oh yeah, I was uh, Oh yeah. <coughs> <coughs> we went to a forward all these are forward base camps. We never came out of the field. We stepped up I mean I, I slept on the ground at least fifty weeks out of the fifty two weeks I was there. Right. We didn't see they come out they come out and resupplies, helicopters wouldn't even land, they just kick it off, take our mail, toss our mail up to them and they was gone. And uh, what was I talking about? The radio. Oh yeah. So the radio was kind of heavy. Somebody had to carry it, and I was this when I was still in the ninth infantry in the uh, recon platoon. And there's thirty in that in that platoon, which normal platoon is like forty four or something. So we split up three ways. It was going up three different. And we weren't far apart. You know, we couldn't see each other from the brush and stuff in the jungle, but. <clears throat> Then we heard these explosions. I, well, first of all, back up. I asked this guy, his name was Bingler. I said, when you carry that radio, I'll give you $5 for carry radio. I do not want to carry that radio today. And you're not supposed to switch squads. You stay in your, where you're assigned, you, you always stay with them. Anyway, <clears throat> I asked him, I, he said he agreed to carry it. So he took my squad, he was in my squad, and I went in his. 
where they got ambushed, we heard the explosions and the, the fire, you know, and everything. We got all split up. <clears throat> so I'm by myself. I'm scared to death. And, and I hear somebody coming through the brush, and it was um, a sergeant, and he had blood on his, his ears and face and stuff. And he said that they're all dead, which wasn't true. They weren't all dead. He thought they were because they all got wounded. <clears throat> so I went with him. We went back, and there's more gathered back. Well, I came back, and Bigger was on the ground dead. And the rest of the people was wounded. But he had that radio and the the microphone. I mean, the what do you call that? The wire going up where we speak. You know, the wire was cut. And he had a spot of blood on his chest. And that was the only mark he had on him. But he was dead. So me and another guy had to carry him to a river because there was no clearing. We didn't have time. It was too late. Didn't have time. We took him. We had to carry him when the helicopters come in and get him. But anyway, they called back to the. See, I, mean, I, I might get some of this sort of timeline out of the way, but they might have screwed up. But they called back, and Tommy is there. Huh? To the camp. Called back to the camp. Well, Tommy's still in mortars, man. So he was there, and he heard my name because they called back the wounded and, and the killed. I mean, the ones that's dead, the KIAs. And they had me as a KIA because that's where I was supposed to be. But his dealer is actually killed. And when I went to Washington, D.C., I went to Monument. First person I looked up was Beeler. Then we looked up for a husband, Dwayne. And I saw Beeler. I thought for five dollars he lost his life. Because it would have been me if that. Yeah, switch with me. I saw that, that happened other times too. Where people weren't where they're supposed to be. Right. <clears throat> but uh, I guess the worst thing that happened to me, the worst, was uh, was guarding artillery. Eight-inch guns. There's a 175 and a 155, which is the biggest guns they have. And so they're always subject to attack. So they have to. This is one with the fourth division. So a company of about 200, we had to we build a, a perimeter around them, foxholes. But the artillery people didn't dig foxholes. And so I took out a what's called a listening post and made this. Part I remember that camp was just one little corner of it. But I took out the listening post, two guys, and you set them out. You set them out all four different directions from your camp. You take them way out there. And if the enemy comes up, they're supposed to run into them first, and they can either get, you know, get killed or they come back and warn them, you know. So I'm not like a chicken in a cage out there trying to. Do they have a radio or anything? Nope. They don't have any radio. They don't have anything. Just you and a rifle. And if it's raining, which it is a lot of times, you know, at six months, I've laid out there in the rain, just they fall on the ground. You take time about, always somebody has to be guarding. Whatever your position is, it always has to be one awake, you know. We usually took an hour at a time, rotated. Yeah, but anyway, that night, I was in a tent. We put the tent, we made out, made out two ponchos. It was in front of the bunker, I took those guys out. And uh, <clears throat> that night, about one o'clock, it started misty rain. It's pitch black, and the the LPs in front of me was. Uh, let me back up here. The LPs on that the two I set up, they came running back in. Well, we they, we started getting mortared, and the guy is in on 
he poured the rest of us five feet into the bunker. And we were, we were all got filled for the bunkers because of the mortars and it didn't ever worse. And then they tried to come in, I don't know how many there were, it had to be at least several hundred, they wouldn't even try to attack the camp unless it was a bunch of them. And so they, there was, it was such a roar and a noise. And uh, when you get to that point, where they're afraid that they're going to be over, going to be overrun, they take the guns and shoot beehive rounds, which has got hundreds of steel darts, and shoot them straight into the into the jungle. They are just point blank shooting them. And then we always have artillery protection too. So they set those up. And they always walk them in at night before you go to bed. And they're always set, so all they got to do is just say fire for effect, you know. Fire barrage and down. So the artillery started coming in, and the two LPs in front of me was hollering, Don't shoot, don't shoot, because the artillery was getting close to them. And uh, there was a, they call them a pom pom gun, so tank. It's got two, I've got a picture of it beside me, and they cranked up and went over to, to reinforce that side where it's coming in. But anyway, the next morning, my sergeant told me, He said, You need to go over there and take the men, the squad. I was a sergeant then. And Please set the, the bodies. So I, I didn't know, you know, so many times stuff happens, you don't know what, you don't see the enemy. So I went over there and uh, we went over and I, it was dead everywhere, blood everywhere, and they was mangled the bodies. It was just mowed down. And so we drug them out. And what, over in Vietnam, they, the goal was not to capture property. You know, we didn't. Uh, take territory, all we did was they were looking for the uh, by the dead bodies. That's what they was going by, to kill. So we always had to count bodies. If we didn't, the artillery killed them, we still had to count them and call them back in. And the, the kill ratio in Vietnam, they said, was uh, 12 to 1. one 12 Vietnamese to 1 American. But we took them out and lined them up on the ground and I took pictures of it. Line them up on the ground. There's one still living, and they asked the neck to look at him, but they said, "Don't worry about him. He's, he's not. He's not gonna make it." And so we had an interpreter out there, and he asked the guy, you know, try to see what was going on. And all, all the guy said was, "We ran into a wall of steel." And that's it. He was one of 37 when bodies were laid out. But I know there's a lot more killed. I mean, there's so much blood. And, they had left you just a trail of blood down this little trail like they went. We didn't go out and check it or anything. We loaded everything up, and that day we pulled out because they figured they won't come back, and they used to stay in there. And there was two killed. There was two uh, artillery guys killed, and then uh, there was a helicopter that tried to come in and take the wounded out, and they got shot down, so those four on there were killed. I never did see that. Somebody else saw it. But uh, a lot, the guy in the bunker and me got wounded. Shot out of a shrapnel or something. They wanted more ammunition to the next foxhole. So the sergeant told me, which he's a, I'm, I was E85, he's E6. You got to do what they tell you. He told me to bring sense more. So I told the guy there, he said, I'm not going over there. I said, You got to go. I'm E5, you respect four. So he ran over and he got wounded coming back. 
had I found it pitch black and I could feel his arm all wet, warm become warm and sticky like blood. And when I got the next morning, uh, it was you know, when we got up when we got the bodies there's smoke and all the smell, you know. The arch the, some of the charges on our was on fire. It was like fourth of July and stuff. I afraid it's gonna blow up. It was shooting out sparks and everything, it's lighting up the place down. Uh, it was the day after that, you just move on to the next place and tell you to go, wherever they take you. Yeah. That was the worst thing I And we got ambushed, we ambushed them. We got, people got killed by friendly fire. All kinds of stuff. Yeah, I imagine it'd be really confusing to know with everything going on. See, I don't know where I, we didn't know where we were. They don't tell you where you're going, they just say, no that can bring helicopters, trucks, whatever, come pick you up, especially helicopters. Wow. I saw a guy, you know, we was laying on a uh, runway. I'm telling this fast, I was kind of, I was on a runway, we already had the operation. We're okay, we got plenty of time. Operation, so we were sitting there and they always told us, one round to get you off, that's what they were saying was. I told my friend, I said, you know, it's kind of dangerous just laying here like it's all together when the helicopters come in and get us. There's a, a roadway they were going to build to change the road during the war. Mm -hmm. Helicopter came over and shot the guy right beside where I was laying. So we're out of time, that's fine. We're fine. So, so I was just setting that just kind of as a benchmark to tell me where we were after about 20 minutes. So, uh, so. I didn't catch that last word, that last part. Oh. Was on, uh, <clears throat> we made a, went on this operation, there was a run, uh, a road, and it was, all they had was just a dirt, and the jungle cleared out. We were sitting there waiting for the helicopters to pick us up, and I told my friend, uh, not Tommy, but another friend, Ben, he wasn't with us then, Tommy wasn't with us then. I told him, I said, we better go over on the other side of the road where it's nobody else. Because you know what they always say. You know, I figured, you know, when you're going to shoot for somebody, you're going to look where the crowd is. So we went over there, but a helicopter came over and they were firing because they were supporting another unit that was under fire. And they came over and the gun, I saw the smoke coming out of them. They were firing and it went right straight over where us and killed a guy sitting there, sitting there beside me. Mm -hmm. So it's a good thing I went over to the other side. That's just our story. Man. That doesn't sound like it. I mean, I would, yeah, it's not what you say about that, all, all that. All that happened over there. We, just, we got ambushed. It was like a, year, got, a, year, yeah. a tough year. It was laying in the mud and the rain. It's just dirty, being dirty the whole time. And I know, you know, a lot. A lot Missing of my family, mostly. Yeah. They tell you the best part, best part when I went and came home. <laughs> Not on Interstate 85, sitting in the car with my mother and my brother. My father already died. And to get to go home and sleep in my bed for the first time. I always remember that. That was the best part. And meeting her. <laughs> it blew my mind that he could take these pictures. You would have to be in a totally different frame of mind. I think in our society, 
It's not something that you can take teachers off. Right. So they're always losing I lost my best one. That the guy took pictures of all this stuff. Can I see the pictures? Yeah, but you. The ones I took, there were slides. I should have made them all slides, but then the slides I made five by seven times. I got rid of most of the stuff. Now, there's the two guys, that, artillery guys, that put these silver things over. And that's why I told her, I said, I, I didn't get emotional about anything. But that's what you do when you're on patrol. That's the sergeant. He's, you got to figure out where you're going. Yeah, matter of fact, they was doing that, and the guy probably with, with us, when he pointed, somebody shot him in the chest, but he didn't die. He gets more emotional now in his old age. I do. I don't, yeah. Yeah. Like, when I come out of there, I didn't care. That's a good picture there. Where, which one's you? Right there. That's you right yeah, there. Yeah, man, you can always carry orders with you. That's, yeah, that's me. That's, he's going home, too, though. All these guys are going home. They've been over the year. You look pretty happy there. Yeah. Now, that's, see, we had to dig them up. The bodies, because artillery, we're, we followed this unit, this group, they about, probably about, we counted foxholes. What? Which one? Yeah. We, we, there's 200 or less. We followed them for about, I don't know how many there were there bunch of them. And artillery was always in bombing you know, stuff. So we'd have to dig up the, they just buried their dead in their foxholes and we had to dig them up and count them to make sure. But there was a body in there. He got wounded. <clears throat> That's the, where they put the 37 people. They had a little bulldozer. I don't know why they covered up bulldozer, but they had to cover it. That's my tent. That's the next morning. It is, it's still It's dark. It's dark down there in place. In the jungle, you can't really see. I mean, it's just like that sun. That was the thing that was sitting beside me when that. I was thinking about that evening. And that was beside me, and they went over there. That's one of the guns that we're supporting. That's another. That's the biggest one they got. Eight inch. I don't say anybody has their hearing after going to work on them. I didn't see anybody have ear protection on. Yeah, I made a, I took a slide made five by sevens. Not just that, my family, <clears throat> all my slides I took. That's what I did. I bet you about half the people I've served with are dead now. That's Paul Connor, he's a gas player. This doesn't seem like it was that long ago. I was just thinking. <clears throat> yeah, I bet, I bet how you. How young you lived there. Yeah, I bet you half of them, half. People I was in service with are dead. I know they used to send out a thing. It's one guy. That's Bennett. He's got malaria. <clears throat> He's from about time, Tame, Iowa. I still stay in touch with him. He wouldn't feel so great there. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the only two that I've ever seen us, we ever took captain. And they give up. They have to, they give up because they get, they get tired of it. They get tired of it. Uh, that. Or something yeah, I don't know what hit, but I'm going to tell you what, you'd think that you can't hide from the jets and stuff in the artillery. Our artillery is fearsome. Really? That's Cameron Bay, that's where I went there and then went to, on R&R &R to Taiwan. That's just kind of, that's something I hate about, just staying dry.
try to keep my feet dry. So I got athlete's feet halfway through there. No, it does not. It doesn't have a, it doesn't have a magazine in it. it, it usually, that must have been a pretty safe area that would have a magazine in there all the time. That's a village research. That's just on patrol. That's a rifle that got off the end of the field. Got that. Peter, there wasn't a magazine there. That's Chinook. That's the one that took me out of the field for the last time. Got crashed into a dead tree. I ran into a dead tree up there and the thing started wobbling. I thought, oh gosh, don't let me die here now. <laughs> Made this far. Just that's how we got transportation on the tank. Wherever we on the tank. That's open all the four stop. I see them spilling off this one, but I see them still home. We had it for a while. I sent it home, I finally got rid of it. I didn't know what to do with it after I sent the thing home. Every time we get water. We drank out of the rivers. Creeks, whatever. But that someone had sent it to us. Supposed to be a medical school. I don't know what yeah. it is. Yeah, medical. I didn't want to go out and get caught burying it. <laughs> yeah. That's the monster. That's just where misery is just misery, misery. It, it, it's not all jungle over there. There's some rivers. That's best friend right there. Some Tom, right? Elton Bennett, Iowa. You didn't see fat people back then, do you know that? You didn't see fat people, right? You see all the people out of my service with, I didn't they wouldn't eat fat people. Right? They were all skinny. That's enough. See this right here, he's You have a every a machine gun squad, then you have people, and I don't have it here, but he's the machine gun, he carried a 45, but then you have two ammo barriers, have to carry extra. This is. After a while, unless you've been there, it ain't really interesting. That's just helicopter coming in. It's interesting to me. I mean, you know, that seems just like uh, an absolutely crazy year. That's the. I thought you already said that. Ask four fifty calibers on that truck. Yeah, a lot of times I ask. You know, there's there's veterans who you know spend their whole career in, and they'll you know learn a trade, or they're a doctor, or or you know. I think I learned a lot of troubleshooting skills as far as there. I grew up, you know, kind of in the military. Your story is a lot different, though. You're drafted, go to boot camp, and then dropped off to fight a war. Sometimes I'm a little bitter. I don't know, how, I don't know how that positively affects the rest of your life, exactly. Nothing did. Yeah. We got married about in 1970, but I didn't think much about it. The older I get, you get sentimental when you get older. Right. That's the whole thing. I've seen my family do that before, you know. Especially for sick or something. Sure, sure. I think about the people that didn't come home, like her husband Dwayne, you know. Yeah. I mean, your life cut off at 20 years old. And you're home, you went back around back then, but they had a song out. I wasn't, I wasn't uh, not a fortunate son. Mm -hmm. Talking about, talking about the, the ones that didn't have to go. I'm a, well, yeah, look at the presidents. Going back, the so last four presidents, the last four presidents didn't have to go over there. It's a true one went to Canada, one got out on. Very true. <clears throat> so if you're just plain old, you know, I have life too. I didn't want to give it up. 
they just snatched me up, called me up. We both had jobs. <clears throat> well, Dwayne was in, uh, he was in college, and they didn't get him, but he was in uh, at Eastern Carolina, and he came home uh, to take a break. He was going to Gaston College there, but he took a break, and they got him. Yeah, he stayed. Yeah. My brother didn't go. He stayed in college. I'll be honest with you. I try to get out of the Vietnam. I try to. I had Basil Whitener, a lawyer at the time. I had a big bang, and I was trying to get out because my father died, which I don't think that's right. I mean, you know, like me, I didn't. Uh, I didn't get to be my father the last you know, six months of his life. Mm -hmm. uh, and my mother, she was by herself. When, uh, so my father just died. I went to Vietnam. My brother's up there in Western Carolina. My sister, and baby had born dead. So my mother, she still had to work. But, you know, she still had to work, and she was 42 years old. They, with they and I'm gone. And you, you could have helped. I could have yeah, been there. I could have been there with her because she needed a lot of support. But uh, I'm not bitter, but sometimes I don't think it's fair. But, uh, it's true. And I know the families. I, could, I can't picture a family that had to worry about their children. Any war. Any war. Yeah, I couldn't imagine. But, uh, it was a good experience. That's <laughs> over. I don't know about it's that. A good experience. I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I, I would say <laughs> war is bad, and what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, maybe. Something yeah. like that, you know? But, uh, I, I just, uh, it was a fun time. You know, it was a good time. I'm sure. Well, to me, the bad part is how they just left and came home. And quit, you know, just, just left it unresolved. We saw some kind of documentary the other day. Yeah, those, the uh, last days of Vietnam. Those poor Vietnamese people running, trying to get on the airplanes because they knew they didn't want to be left there because they helped they helped the Americans and they knew that they were going to be in trouble. That you know the planes are taking off and they're chasing after them, trying to get on. I had, I had a chance to kill two guys and I didn't do it because they were just. They didn't see me, and they had to. They shot down the helicopter. We had to go back to the village, and go back in there. You know, and look for whoever shot it down. We just uh, secured it. And I saw them. They came up. They didn't see us. You know, for the green uniforms, if you're standing in that green, you can't spot anybody. You don't see them. It's just like you don't see them. What camouflage? Wore green. <clears throat> I could have picked them off my rifle easy time. I didn't do it. I just couldn't do it, you know. So I hollered at them, you know, at least a fighting chance. And other people opened firing on them. But we went over, there's a little fence there that was like made out of sticks and they were behind. And, but then a helicopter, a gunship came in. They came right down and started firing the rockets into the place where they went. I know they got killed. And then, so I'm glad I didn't shoot them. I know they got killed. We didn't check it out. Yeah. We just move on, you know. Stuff like that out too much time, but I'm, what I'm saying is, all that stuff is a lot louder in real life. It's a lot more dramatic when you see a, a jet come over the tree line and you see the pilot in it, and I see the 500-pound bomb tumble out of it. Yeah, and they're shooting. And we got ambushed one of a hill one night. It's real late. We should already been set up for for a start, <coughs> and. Uh, it should have been on trail either. It was on trail, but we didn't have much time. But 
That jet came down, and I see it flying across the, the wings. I seen like like sparkles on the wings. And I mean, he's about to get us. And one of the guys I with put the, his rifle to the sergeant's head, and one of the sergeants or captain said, "If I get hit, I'm gonna blow your brains out." But if I get hit, I'm gonna blow your brains out before I die. <laughs> so you don't tell them to get away. You know, tell them to tell them to stop, yeah. stop the firing. You know, yeah, because the hill. They'd already cleared the hill for artillery, and that's enough. That artillery is just awesome. It's just awesome what it can do. Mm. I see why people in World War II got shell shot by artillery. Mm -hmm. um, wow! It sounds nothing like on TV in real life way than on TV. They said you've never seen a movie that really depicts. I don't. I've never seen a movie. You know, they all this rough talking. Mm -hmm. They, them guys they didn't, in, they didn't use foul language. They didn't use any foul language. No. Yeah. And we didn't wear all the, all that extra stuff they wear. We had to stay in uniform. We had to shave every morning, no matter where you were. First thing you did is shave every morning. So everybody's clean cut. They still expect you to. We didn't have to shine the boots up. But the helicopter pilots, all them, spit shine boots, crest uniforms. Still in the military. Still in the military when you're there. Yeah. Yeah. You're not. You're not free. It's a good person. reason to get. No matter how bad I feel, get up and shave and get going in the morning. You got to get. What about the time y'all were sort of sleeping, sleeping on the side of the road and they came walking down the road and they're walking oh, to sleep? I can't tell you how many ambushes I've been on where the people everybody's asleep but me. I tell them it's about probably about twenty of us, maybe thirty. Was on the side of the road, and I saw I heard them coming. There's probably about a hundred of them. North Vietnamese Army, and they're walking down the road. It wasn't very far from us, so we was up there in the brush, like. <clears throat> and all I hear is the guy beside me snoring like crazy. And I'm trying to wake him up and keep him quiet, and I'm the only one awake. I, I mean, I didn't have. I can't call the radio. I don't know where I am. You know, I can't call an artillery. So, uh, and then another time, we sat on one group sat here on the road, the other sat here, is at night, was right there on the edge of the road. And they came this way, you're supposed to call that the ones out here know where they can be prepared to uh, shoot them when they came by. So I'm here, and they're coming this way on bicycles, and I call them, ain't nobody answers. I'm going the wrong way. <clears throat> and then a water buffalo came over there, a whole herd of wa water buffalo came down there about trumping to death. Breathing over me, <laughs> blowing air out over top of us. But we, I'll tell you one more thing, I'll be quiet. Every night, all we did all day long was patrol. Then when we stopped, we stopped by the evening, we had to stop where there's water, because they didn't supply you water. So you had to stop where there's water. Then you just put on high ground, set a perimeter, we had to dig a fire. This time we come up to work. You know, they're walking all day for a 50 pound pack. And then you, each person, four to a foxhole, you dig a foxhole, four feet deep, about six feet long, about two feet wide, just where you all four you fit in there. Then you have to clear fields of fire from a shady, cut down trees that big around, take the logs, you fill up sandbags, put them on each side, put the logs across there, put the sandbags across the logs. Then <clears throat> set up the trip flyers, set up the Claymore mines, and then Next morning, take all that back down, fill up the 
took the dump sandbags back in the foxhole, rolled them all up, pack them, and go, eat, eat your son. Seed rations, that's all we have is here. The whole year I was there, I did not eat ice cream, I did not have a hamper or a hot dog, didn't have an egg, uh, didn't have anything but seed rations. They would send us stuff that the people back in the camp. <coughs> they sent us drinks. They sent us drinks, but the people at the camp would just send us the, the off-brand stuff. They'd keep the Cokes and stuff. Mm -hmm. They'd send us the, the Canada Dry Winks, which we love those. And, but we had to bring them hot, you know. What but they sent us Winks, Winks, W-I-N-K. Yeah. And, and yeah, they're... Green bottles. Yeah. These are in little... Oh, yeah, they they sent us in Canada Dry Winks. Well, it's, it's gingerbread makes it, I mean, Canada Dry makes this wink. It's sort of like a, uh, not a goo, but the, uh, they, they give us all the bad stuff. They take all the good stuff out and send us the crappy stuff. I mean, we were treated like dirt. The grunts, they're called grunts. They yeah. treated like dirt. They were getting that. They, we, they took us out one time in the trucks and dropped us off. Went back to camp. I said, we got to let him go. <coughs> Well, and they said, oh, they said, can we have one of these cold cracks? No, you can't have one. So when they, they said, get off the truck. So we ran up, we jumped off, and one guy grabbed the cooler to it. <laughs> <laughs> They'd hate to see us come. If we come around on big camp, we'd rob them. I mean, this. Because they knew you were going to. Yeah, they knew we were going to take their stuff, whatever. Like, ants coming in there. Okay. Well, no, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. This, this has been Mr. Ray Kell and his wife, Connie, talking about. Ray's Viet, Ray and Connie's Vietnam experience. Um, thank you so much for everything that you guys gave to our country. Thank you for your service. Thank, thank you, you for, for your having support. us here. Um, and thank you for your story. I appreciate that. Okay. I'm not sure exactly what. I'll tell you. I love to hear this, these stories, but I mean, you know, that's just that's a tough story. I mean, that's a tough experience. You know. I mean, it's just not right, you know. It makes it kind of makes you mad. But uh, I was, and I think about, you know, what would happen, man, if I was jerked up and sent into something like that at a very young age. I think about my family. I think about my grandson. If I had a son, or my son, if they tried yeah, to draft my I mean, son, I, was, I, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know either. I'd be crazy thinking about. It. I don't know. I'd sleep. But in Vietnam, at least it's daylight. Was that out of where it's dark over here? Right. Well, because of helping my grandson, I'm grabbing it and running. Yeah. And one, one time I ever got, only time I ever got emotional is when I saw that I'm not gonna get emotional. Okay. But those two artillery guys got killed. <clears throat> they took the. Uh, I watched. They was over and they had them. Had their, they had cots. But they were separating their personal stuff. From their military stuff, they send the personal stuff home. And I thought, you know, here it is. Now it's midnight back home. We're in daytime, and their families don't know they're dead. They don't know they're dead yet. Yeah. Well, see, Dwayne was dead a month before I knew it. I was still sending letters, and then it took a month to get the, you know, the information to send me. And then for weeks after that, I'd still I'd get packages in the mail where they'd be sending things back. We sent letters. Now they got everything. All we had to do was letters. My mother always sent me care packages. 
I got care packages in the military for my mother and grandmother. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate all the people that sent me stuff to, to go fat. Sea rations make it a little better. Mm -hmm. Texas Pete, we all had all that. You know, we tried to doctor it up a little bit. <clears throat> but I appreciate it. But I got, my father died September 27th. When I went home, you know, he'd already died when I got there. But when I got back after I was there, I think they let me stay a week. But when I got back to the camp, they gave me mail, and it's from him. I thought, I got so confused. How, how can I be getting mail? And he's dead. But, you know, it's, it's a delayed time, you know. Yeah. So. And some guy stole his stuff while he was gone. <laughs> yeah, I broke my lock and stole my stuff while I was gone. Well, there's thieves in the military. Yes, there are. There's <laughs> a lot of our own. Thieves in the military. Sure. Well, listen. I appreciate your time. No, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you, Connie. Now, what, what, okay, so what do you do as far as the military stuff goes? Me, personally? I mean, talk about it like as far as the law firms. Um, so, we're in estate planning and overall practice. Which I don't do the other stuff. So, I mean, everybody's got their. Yeah, you know, the military part is veterans aid and attendance. We apply for benefits for veterans or spouses of veterans or spouses of deceased veterans, which is a pension benefit of up to uh, $34,000 per year if there's two married veterans. Um, generally... And they have to be married veterans. But yeah, but if it's a veteran and a non-veteran that are married, yeah. then it's around approximately twenty two to 2300 If it's just a veteran, single veteran, then it's around 1800 and the spouse of a veteran is around 1300 Spouse of a deceased veteran is around 1150 $1,200. Just probably. What, what would you have to do to qualify for this? So I'm not like, I probably wouldn't qualify. So if you needed any care in home or assisted okay. living or nursing home care, and care in home could be, you know, you needed some help getting around, um, uh, cooking meals, and there's six standard insurance activity of daily living. If you need help with any two of those, um, you could qualify. Um, and uh, you more or less have to be sick, though, don't you? Yeah, I mean you don't have to necessarily be sick. Um, disabled, really, where you could. You need, have to need some help, and doctor sign off saying you need some help in those areas. And uh, and and there's some other income and asset qualifications, but as the attorney, that's where we come in and help position assets and under the rules and, and qualify and offset income and qualify the family or the veteran or the spouse for that benefit. And that can help a lot to either private pay for assisted living care or in-home care um, or just give the family extra income. So Veterans Aid Attendance is a really cool benefit. We do a good bit of that. But so see, I'd have to be disabled some way. I wouldn't want to talk about your situation in front of uh, in front of our audience here, so I'm going to okay. sign off for us, okay? Okay, but, I thought you already signed off. No, no, no. Delete that part. Not yet. Okay. So, so, thank you for being on the show, okay? And tune in next week where we'll have another veteran story. Thank you. Life is busy, we all know. We put off planning till things get slow. Tomorrow's never promised today. Don't get too busy and let it all slip away. Please don't wait till it's too late. Call McIntyre Elder Law. Foundational planning or more complex. We can 
help when you're perplexed If a loved one needs long-term care We can help avoid some of the scare Please don't wait till it's too late Call McIntyre Elder Law State planning benefits and even probate We take the planning piece off your plate If you or your spouse were in the military We can help with benefits for 